0: make sure you hear me right now. If there is ever a time to partner with somebody in your office or brokerage you're working with, now is that time. Hello, my friends, Kenny Stevens here and welcome to Rookie Real Estate, where your road to success begins right here and right now. Whether you're looking to transition from your day job to your dream job or you're on the road to your first 50 transactions, success is in the details, my friends, and we're going to unpack the fundamental principles required for you to thrive. Are you ready? Let's do this. today my friends the rubber meets the road we are elbow deep into our buyer series and my goal has been to provide you with the tools necessary to capture a buyer and get them to their dream home from the mortgage to the buyer's presentation to showing homes start to finish that you know what to do so you can get it it done it's crazy how sometimes you'll capture a buyer and show them three houses and boom they write an offer and close in 30 days you're paid they're happy everything goes great while the others are so much more complicated requiring tons of time and energy and nothing seems to go right and it takes forever to get them across the finish line guys this job this profession is a numbers game it requires both kinds of people Put into your hopper they all can't be easy or everybody would be doing this but the ones that come across that they're like bam 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 they know what they want they pull the trigger you close it you're like Whoo! give me 20 more of those this month that is what you look for you look for the ones and almost what I'm trying to teach you you can almost create that whenever you first from the time that you first make contact with the client, you're almost teaching them, giving them permission to pull the trigger, fall in love, buy the house, and close it, and it runs smooth. The longer you're in this, the more they're gonna feel like those quick turnarounds, the ones that move, and you're like, hey, I'm getting either really good at this, or these buyers are getting really easy, and honestly, it's gonna be a little bit of both. Now we're diving into this process of preparing an offer today and verifying values. That's where we're at in the buyer series. Now my friends, this buyer series will launch you into a successful real estate career. How do I know? Because it's proven. I've taught this one-on-one in groups, not just to my company, but for others around our city. We call this our buyer's boot camp, and we're breaking it down bits and bits and pieces for you. And let me know what you're thinking. You can email me at Kenny at RookieRealEstate.com. Is there something you're struggling with? Share that with me. We're gonna be a community of, of real estate agents working together, winning together, struggling together, overcoming together, and closing deals, making dreams come true, and giving a piece of the American dream to the people that we're working with, guys. This is what we can do together. Email me, let's talk about it, let's win together and knock this out of the park. So let's dive into writing offers. Listen, if you're brand new to this business, make sure you hear me right now. If there is ever a time to partner with somebody in your office or brokerage you're working with, now is that time. If you don't have a fellow agent to help you reach out to your broker, this is a critical step in the buying process, obviously. Writing an offer is a legal document, and putting signatures on such a document puts your clients and you into legal obligations. Now, hopefully by now you've read the contract word for word, and have a good understanding of what it contains. And in most cases, you complete contracts digitally and send it over by email for clients to sign electronically. That's great because it really takes some of the pressure off of the client standing over your shoulders, watching you fill it out line by line. And if you'll remember, in an earlier podcast, I talk about my first contract that I ever wrote. I'm like, I just happened to print it. They called it in. I didn't uh, screen them any at all. They said, we're in front of the house. I jumped in the truck. I drove 30 minutes to them. I let them in. They're like, yep, let's buy it. It was like $700,000 and I I had printed off a contract and I, we sat there and wrote it in the kitchen on the island with one of them on each side of me and I had never filled out a contract before. Then I called my wife all excited. I'm like, hey babe, I wrote an offer. She's like, what? Bring it to me. Do not turn it over to the other agent just yet that's why i'm putting that's just it it worked out that way for me it makes for a great story but i even get cold chills now thinking of how scary that really was happening at that time and this family had bought tons of houses before and i was in that position now i don't recommend it that's why we're talking about what we're talking about now but With the new uh, digital process, this really gives you an opportunity to gather the information you need, go separately, fill it all out, get the questions answered. You need questions uh, with your partner or your broker or whoever you're working with, and then get it over to the client to review and sign. Even if you're able to complete it electronically, you still need to know what information is required, what the contract says and how to explain it to your client it would be a good idea to have a checklist already created for you to get all the information needed. You don't want to be calling your client 15 times and going, trying to gather information, go, yeah, this one line says, how much earnest money do you want to put down? Well, you want to already know that that's going to be one of the questions and you work it into a conversation and not necessarily a checklist. You're going to get better at this as you go. But We're talking about brand new agents. You guys are launching your career, and even some of you have been agents for a year, maybe two years, but you've only done three or four transactions. This is why you need this information so you seem like an expert and you know what you're doing. Now, unfortunately, I can't get too specific because this is a nationwide podcast and each state is different. But there, there are principles that do overlap and are similar, so we're going to try to touch on those. Now, let's start with purchase price, because obviously, the first thing that the clients are going to be like, how much do we make an offer for? Is this house worth it? They literally go through a process, and you're going to watch their eyes. You're going to watch their body movements and their, their body language, and they're going to get to a point, and they're going to stop, and they're going to look at you and go, Kenny, what? how much should we pay for this house? Now, you've already looked at eight, you know what their price range is, you know what they can afford, this house is inside of that, and you probably already have a good idea, but let's take the pressure off right there. Logistically, there are three contributing factors to determine the sales price of a home. What the seller believes their home is worth, what the buyers are willing to pay for that home, and then what the appraiser can prove the home is worth based on the three most recent sales in that area. Those are the three things that determine the value of a home. So the market value. Now somewhere within those three opinions, whether rational or not, you usually land with your purchase price what you're going to offer for this home. Now, if during your presentation you can have a slide that gives your buyer this visual information, remember, we're constantly training our clients to know what to expect and how to prepare mentally for this very, very stressful time they're going through. That visual to see what it looks like with the three different opinions, this will help them to move rationally into the thought process of making an offer that actually has the potential to be accepted. Now, let me hear, let you hear that again. You're actually going to make an offer that has the potential to be accepted. We'll dive into that more in just a second. Now, what I always seem to find myself saying, no matter if I'm the buyer's agent or the seller's agent, This is not a used car. Buyers are always wanting to write lowball offers and see if they can get a, a deal. And this mentally can actually negatively affect the outcome of the success in getting the home that you're falling in love with. That your clients are falling in love with, so don't let let's not get the used car mentality. And if you can even use that verbiage in your presentation, can you see why we drive home the presentation, guys? Why it's so critical? If you can use that verbiage in your presentation, that way then when they walk in, and they fall in love with it. The floor plan's perfect; it's exactly what they want. It's got the fenced-in backyard with a white picket fence out front, with a porch swing. It's everything they dreamed of, and they want to come in and go twenty-five thousand dollars low in a seller's market. That just cannot happen at that point in the process. We've got a program based on reality of the market that you're in. And our markets are going to change. This podcast is now getting sent out there, but the market will change. So I can't talk more about one uh, buyer's market versus a seller's market. I can only give you generalities of where we stand in each one and what that could look like. But the presentation is where you win when you're actually to this point, they fall in love and they they say, What do I what do I do? Now, likewise, sellers are always wanting to raise the price ten or fifteen thousand dollars so they can have room to negotiate. This mentality kills me, but I want you to know that some of your clients are going to want to think like that as well. So we've got to gently reprogram their mentality throughout the process. Even when you say a home, you look at one and you know they don't want it, and it's listed at 300,000, and you can can start programming them. Guys, if we were gonna make an offer on this one, it's listed at 300,000. Even though it doesn't fit you, it's probably worth that 300,000. So that time, the next time, because it's true, you only say that if it's true, the next time when they do fall in love with one, it's just like the one they just saw, except for four plans a little bit differently, they're already in the mentality like, okay, the last one that I didn't want was worth 300 but not to me. This one is it, absolutely worth 300 So that way they're not already thinking 275 So this is a process. It's not manipulation. It's the truth. You've just got to strategically provide and plant information as you're in this process so that when they get ready and prepare themselves to fall in love and pull the trigger, they know where to land, and it makes this process a lot easier because then you'll verify it, you'll prove it to them based on comps, and then you'll move forward with an offer. Now also, as I've told you before, I don't pull comps on every house that I show. There's no point wasting that time. I share this during the presentation. Again, I mentioned in the presentation. As well, so that my buyers don't worry about the prices when they're looking. Yes, we stay within their budget, but worrying if the home is worth $3,000 over what it actually should be listed for, or vice versa, or it's 3,000 low, none of that matters when they're looking around. They need to be focused on and have permission to be focusing on floor plans and functionality and location and preferences. This also gives you a pass on nailing down an offer price every house that you walk into when you're standing in the home and being put on the spot. You give yourself an opportunity to go, even as an experienced seasoned agent, I don't wanna spend 30, 45 minutes per house when we're looking at seven houses. That's not realistic. So you've given yourself an opportunity. You've got a good idea. They've got a good idea. We both know that uh, we're in the range. It's just a matter of how specific do we need to get on price, and we'll work that out later whenever you fall in love with it, and we want to make sure we get it. This also lets you give a pass on nailing down the offer price at that time when standing in the home and being put on the spot. So really the pressure for agents that you see, the newer agents come into the office and say, man, Kenny, they were nailing me down on price. What do we offer, what do we offer, what do you offer? And I'm like, do you remember us talking about, you, you just table that and you go, how much do you love this home? Like on a scale of one to 10, if we lost this one, would you be okay with it? And you start learning and you, you help them to figure out where they're at and that way they can, whenever we get ready to do nail down a price, then we can actually have a reasoning behind putting a number in front of the seller that gives them an opportunity to accept it. Now this is also, you know, bringing home their level of desire. This too may, you don't want it to be manipulative. That's what I'm always fearful. I want our motives as real estate professionals, as realtors to always be pure. So. You know, it's like you talk to a child at Vacation Bible School about coming to know the Lord. You don't want to put the pressure on because it's VBS week and you want kids to come to know the Lord and you start putting pressure, putting pressure, so they got to say yes because of course, I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell. Of course, let's do this. You don't want that kind of mentality with buyers like you need to offer, you need to offer. You know, But you also need to drive on the point, this is everything you listed that you wanted. Does this floor plan feel good? Can you see your family? sitting here at this island as you're cooking dinner as your husband's you know doing homework and you're watching a show you know the the nightly news can you picture that in this room using things and desire and level of interest helps them to drive home the feeling that it's okay to go ahead and pull the trigger on this one even if we have four or five more homes scheduled to look at once you find the right one Move on the right one. So all of this to say, let's always put our best foot forward. Their mental state will determine what they might want to offer. We can we can put all of that with and verify with comps, but we're gonna put our best foot forward on the very first. Offer Now, Terry DeSalms used to always tell me, every time a counter offer is written, you're getting further and further away from locking down the deal. Now, this sounded crazy to me at first when I was brand new. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, if if we're countering back and forth, this, this is good. I mean, we're negotiating well. We're bringing it together. And however, the more experienced I've gotten, obviously, he's got a billion dollars worth of experience, and it made sense to him. There is a burnout time in this process. Buyers and sellers only have one, maybe two counters within their mental capacity. Outside of that, it begins to become overwhelming and they start to get negative feelings towards the other side of the transactions. And in that same time frame of going back and forth, you could have another offer brought in that kicks you out altogether. So I believe, and it makes 100% sense to me now that I've got the experience that I have when Terry said, you get further away every time another counter offer is written. So always put your best foot forward. Give them every chance to say yes the first time. So keeping our buyers focused on what's that most important Helps prevent this analysis paralysis. So I'm pretty confident in saying five years from now, it likely won't matter if you over or underpay three to $5,000 for this house. When you can put that into a sentence to where they can look very broad and not look at right now in this moment and this emotion, then they can think, okay, in five years from now, Whether I sell or not, will it matter if I would have lost this house by $3,000? The emotions are so high, and this is so stressful, that if you can put that into perspective, plant that into your toolbox, use that statement right there, it really does help. There's an old saying in real estate, I wish I would have bought everything that I could afford five years ago. That has been the case And our market has proven this for over a 100 years. Now, I cannot and you cannot predict the future. And don't you dare tell them their house is going to be worth more in five years because you cannot see the future. You do not have a crystal ball. But if you tell them for the past 100 years, if you look back five, eight, ten years, you're gonna wish every penny you had liquid available you could have poured into real estate because everything five years later is gonna be that much more expensive. Whenever my parents were buying a house, they were fifteen and twenty thousand dollars in this very same neighborhood, they're going for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You can't tell me that I can't virtually say. In five to eight years, it's likely if history continues to repeat itself that three to 5,000 won't matter. But you gotta be able to word that in a way and be able to articulate that in a way that removes that stress and they go, okay, what's five grand in 10 years? Especially if you know their kids have eight more years before they graduate high school, they're probably not going to move within that eight years if they're that close to it. That's why we have the presentation. We get to know our clients, where they are in life, what work looks like for them, where they're at in their careers, where their children are, where they like to live, work, and play, because that information is then used later throughout the process to remind them of what they need to do. We want to be diligent. We want to verify values. But if your clients love the home and want to buy it, figure out a way to get it done now let's talk about comps real quick now here's a basic concept start narrow and expand write that down start narrow or at least plant a seed in your brain start narrow and expand when you think about comps always start on the street that the house is on and then expand from there people are like man especially new agents. I was taught very methodically by Terry how to pull comps, so I never really had to wonder how to do it, because the first thing he did was like, you got to know how to value. If you can't value, this separates the whatever analogy you want to use. This separates great uh, from really crappy. I don't know the analogy. I'm pulling that out. But he taught it right off the bat and drove it home, so I'm like, I never had a problem with comps. I was always confident because I started on the street and I expanded out. Now, your clients want to make an offer on their dream home. They ask you where you should start. You determine how much they want the home. Then you sit down in front of your computer and get to work. Now, this is just with you because they're gone on to their house and they're driving home dreaming because you're now getting to work and doing your homework. Start to narrow it down. Look up the houses that have sold on that particular street in the last 12 months. Don't limit your search to square footage or any other factor. Just put that street in 12 months sold. Find out what pops up just looking on that street. Now, compare those houses that have sold. There probably are going to be some, hopefully. Compare those houses to the one that you just got done looking at. Now, you really only need three to five comps to really verify the value of a home because that's the way an appraiser does. An appraiser, they've come in, they've taught our company how to do this. They look for the three to five homes closest to the one that they're comping that have sold in the most quickest time frame three, six months, but maximum of a year. Now, if this is a cookie cutter neighborhood, and a lot of times they are, there's probably been 15 homes sold on any given street in a large, saturated neighborhood. So it's going to make this a lot easier. That will likely also produce several options over the past 12 months. And staying within the subdivision will also likely keep the style and the upgrades all within the same parameters. If you jump across the street into another subdivision, then that builder might be different. They may be four sides brick with all wrought iron powder coated black fences in the back with you know sidewalks on both sides of the street and no parking lot so each subdivision has its own character and style with different builders so you can't necessarily uh reach too far out even though we will go out in subdivisions just a second but staying on the street staying within the subdivision is critical so we've done the street we've done the subdivision and then we're going to reach out about a mile A mile is usually all you need. Now, this is all caveat to the flyover states, there's not a house within another mile. So your job is gonna be a little bit different and I've had to comp rural properties. It's amazing how rural Nashville gets right outside the greater Nashville inner loop, but it gets very, very rural very, very quickly. It's still very country, it's a lot of varies. So you've got to work a lot harder when you get into more rural areas. So you may have to go one mile, three miles, five miles. But appraisers also allow for that. They call it a rural grid. They bump it out five, eight miles if they have to because it's in a rural area. But as for a whole, for the majority of what most of the listeners are probably going to be dealing with on a regular basis, you're going to have a subdivision. You're going to have options within you know, one, three, five miles. So remember, the goal is to find three that are similar in style, quality, and upgrades and priced close to yours. Some that sold in November are going to be a little bit lower than those that sold in May because the time of the year is different. So factor that in as well. Now, don't let it surprise you that the home your clients want is probably overpriced just a little. You're gonna, as you become a listing agent, you're gonna see this more and more that homeowners want to list it just a shade high. And yes, this isn't a used car, but if everything is sold for 300 and you go to 3049, that's nothing wrong with that. You're trying to push the comp boundary a little bit because the market does grow. So appraisers do allow for that growth and hopefully there's something in this home that will justify three to $5,000 more. So don't be shocked to see a three to $5,000 price tag being over on, especially on a seller's market. Now the listing agent is trying to push the envelope for their clients, there's nothing wrong with that. Times like this will require you to know your market. Being new, you might not be up to speed yet. You're probably behind the eight ball. However, if there is little to no inventory and days on market are averaging three days, your client may need to submit a full price offer for the home, if not even a little bit more. And again, the very first sentence I started out with this is, this is the time to partner with somebody in your office that knows what's going on and can school you and help you teach you on how to look at it in today's market now everything comes down to how can we articulate the situation if your clients have found their dream home let's all agree that we're going to do what it takes to get them in that home without being reckless Now, most people have champagne taste on a beer budget. I don't know if that's known across the nation, but that's very commonly said here in the South. Champagne taste on a beer budget. So don't let them feel like they're settling. Always find great things to say about the home that they want to fall in love with or that they want to make offers on. Of course, if you're looking at $300,000, $500,000 homes, they're going to have a lot more things and bells and whistles, but there's some amazing $300,000 homes that blow the socks off the two-bedroom, one-bath apartment that they've been living in. So really don't forget to, even wherever you live, whoever you're serving, you've got to be in their price mentality because some agents live in apartments. Some agents live in million-dollar homes, and you're working with clients that are all over the spectrum, so you have to mentally put yourself in their buying power uh mentality. You know, if they're looking at 300 and go, "Man, this this backyard should be fenced. This is reckless, reckless." You know, you got to you got to be careful of not all houses that you're going to see is something that you're going to like as well. So keep that in mind. Now, before you nail down a price to offer, clear it with another agent especially if you're new if there's 10 homes that sold just like it and it's $5,000 more, maybe you don't need to clear that with somebody, but it's not a bad idea for the first few. I literally, my wife and I have agents come over to our house and write offers at our kitchen table while our kids are playing and we're cooking dinner and we're helping them nail this down. And after three, four, five, eight, ten 10 offers, they're usually just making a quick phone call and going, hey, something's weird about this. Can you just glance at it real quick? So don't feel bad to need that. All of us needed that. That is critical and something that you need to have access to. And hopefully you've interviewed well in a brokerage and you've got somebody that you can bounce things off of. So agents often think that purchase price is the most critical point about submitting an offer. But that is not necessarily the case. I have found that the cleanest offers seem to win more often than not it's not always about the price now what do i mean by cleanest well not muddying up the water with needless stipulations likely your contract already articulates most of the major logistics that need to protect the buyer and seller whether where agents get crazy is adding verbiage when it's not necessary i've seen agents write purchases contingent upon buyer obtaining suitable financing. I'm not sure if you caught the keyword to that or not, but suitable financing? That is a blanket I want to get out of this contract at the last minute type of contingency that no good listing agent should ever let be in a contract because most contracts across the US already have verbiage in there to allow for the buyer to get a loan and it to be suitable. Not the word "suitable," but it's like you qualify for it. It's what's standard right now. It's fair uh, for both parties, and you have to move forward with that loan. When you put stipulations with verbiage like "suitable," that just that's an easy exit for them up until the last minute. It's reckless for sellers' agents to do it, and they won't accept it. Good listing agents will not accept muddy, muddy down stipulations that have very broad easy ways out. So this gives the buyer an easy exit. Sellers don't want crazy, vague stipulations like this. Listing agents shouldn't stand for it either. So the quickest way to lose a deal, to add to a bunch of needless stuff to a contract is putting things like that in stipulations. Keep it clean. Now I wanna provide another term for you. Just like when pulling comps, we start narrow, and expand. When writing an offer, we keep it clean. Now that's another term we need to add to our vocabulary. You know, just like whenever I talked about pulling comps, we're gonna start narrow. The next thing that we wanna start programming is keep it clean. Program that during your presentation that we're gonna run smoothly through our offer process so we don't have you know, all these crazy stipulations. But, however, there are times where your seller has to sell or your buyer has to sell their own home before they can buy. That's another contingency that weighs down a contract that muddies the contract is a home sale contingency. But hopefully, that's very rare and you can get it worked out and entered in in a buyer's market or in a seller's market. That's gonna be tough, however you look at it. Uh, But those are stipulations that have to be there because they can't afford to buy without selling. But overall, program this in your mind, keep it clean. Now, if you've read the contract, you already know and can explain all the responsibilities of each party in the transaction. Most everything you can dream of is already covered in the contract. So try not to add that additional stipulation or any verbiage that's somewhere you heard or read on the Internet. I don't know. Now, when you offer a strong and fair purchase price and leave out those needless stipulations, we call this putting your best foot forward. And with this, you're more likely to give the seller a good reason to accept your offer. Anything other than that is giving them a reason not to accept your offer and to send you a counter. This, my friends, is where you earn your paycheck. You've verified values by starting narrow and expanding. You've kept your offer clean by not adding a bunch of needless verbiage. And therefore, you've put your best foot forward And this is how it gets done. This is where the rubber meets the road in submitting a nice, strong offer. All right, it's crazy how time flies when you're having fun and making money. That is all for today. I hope you're finding value in this series. Working with buyers really is the fastest way you can launch your real estate career. Now go out there, kill something, and drag it home. Special thanks to Scott Parker, my engineer, my friend, and my brother in Christ. Without him, this would not be possible. This content is written by me, your host, Kenny Stevens, and Rookie Real Estate is powered by the Salms Real Estate in Franklin, Tennessee. Until next time, my friends, better your best.